Joining me now is my very good friend, Ms. Barb Lampson, and we are going to talk gardening today, Barb. And I tell you what, I woke up and I was so happy. There's rain. Yes, you know, let's talk about the rain. Oh, my goodness. I looked out. I almost started singing and dancing. I did, too. And uh, I looked out, and the uh, uh, street was wet, and I thought, oh, you can't fool me with this. Right. This is, you know, it's been, the moisture's been, the dew on the ground has been so thick this last week, and and you actually had to wait to um, go into uh, the garden, and and I thought, oh, this is what that is, and, and then David said, oh, look at it, it's raining. Oh, my goodness, it was raining, and a very slow, beautiful rain. I almost wanted to just pull up a chair and sit by the window and watch the rain come down and and it's like the cannas in my front display garden their their uh, leaves are out and it's like they're catching it and it's it's like yeah. okay you know we're we're the guys that need it we're making these great big roots now. and uh, Well, I'll tell you what, it's just, so I have this one, uh, well, the alocasia, otherwise known as the smaller elephant ear, mm-hmm. and it has the leaves that specifically catch the rain. They're like little bowls. So these are the yes. ones that kind of face up. So when they catch the rain, it looks like a little dish of water, and that just makes me, it makes my heart sing, Barb. Oh, yeah, right. It, you know, it's like, okay, so the plants are, they've evolved to do this. You know, they really have. And not only that, but when they have um, this cup surface and they collect this this moisture, including the dew, it brings the pollinators in. That's where they go. They love that. And there's a certain nutrient value to that as well. Did you see the, I talked about this a little bit ago this morning about the drought. Yes. Monitor shows that it has worsened and we are now in the... Uh, let's see, severe drought and moderate drought kind of fringes there. Yeah, yeah. And that makes me kind of sad because this is our third year. This is, this is. So we shouldn't be surprised next spring if we have more damage than we were anticipating because this, the drought year after year is a, has a cumulative effect on plants, trees, and shrubs. Right, and so a lot of these trees, I know Grant was saying, he says, well, look at these, these trees are still living on the third year drought. I says, yeah, but like you said, it's cumulative. I says, so while you may not notice it now, we may be seeing it down the line in terms of losing more trees. And of course, then they're more susceptible to things like the emerald ash borer or other insects and things. And did you read about the the two new insects that were discovered in Minnesota? Oh, no. They, oh, my goodness. Well, you know, we have the Japanese beetle. And jumping now, worms. Yeah, and now we have a new one. What? It's called the Asiatic beetle. And Wait, it, oh, you know what? Grant did a... a a, ta- a article on that for the Lily Society. Um, this is the one that kills Asiatic lilies and just strips them to nothing. It uh, well, it has lots of things that are its favorite. Oh, but uh, it, lilies yeah. are one of them. Yeah, and it also, um, you know, the um, the Japanese beetle. It like to um, lay its eggs in the ground in the grasses and then they have those grubs right right yeah and then the larva would develop and the larva would live underground and eat the roots and that well this bugger it it likes the grass it likes certain plants it's it's extremely fond of chrysanthemums are these the ones they're all red pretty much 
No, oh, they're not red at all. Well, then I'm thinking of a different one. I'm thinking of the Asiatic or the lily beetle. That's okay. So this is a different one. This is. Oh, shoot. This is really quite deadly, and it's been spotted. Um, Oh, gosh, I don't know where they reported it. Nothing here in Minnesota yet. But it resembles the Japanese beetle. It's dark like that, and then it has that uh, um, that uh, copper bronze, you know, look on the back. So it, is it kind and of a metallic look? Yeah, I, yeah. And they're pretty, actually. Uh, well, yes, until you know what they do. Well, right. <laughs> and it's actually bigger, too. Oh. So, um, you know, it'll be... Uh, It'll be a challenge. We'll have to keep watching for them. Well, you know, that's a part of of uh, climate change. And I don't know if you're aware of this, but you might want to. You like to read, right? Oh, yeah, I love to read. Okay, so the library here at Minnesota State, as well as the geography department here at Minnesota State, have teamed up for a, a what's called the Common Read. Mm-hmm. And you can get this book for free, because I did, and I'm um, already significantly through it. It's called The Great Displacement, Climate Change, and the Next American Migration. And it talks about all the things that the climate change has done, whether it's from the fires or the floods, and how that it's forcing people to move, and and how the the policies and things that we have are are very unequal in terms of who's able to to um, move and relocate and that sort of thing. And it's by a guy named Jake Biddle. In fact, yesterday on our Everyday is Earth Day segment, we talked a little bit about a session he's going to be in at MSU as a part of that Common Read for the Great Displacement, and then that's coming up, I think, I want to say October, um, about talking about this book and how that the climate change is, is changing the face of the American migration. Because, wow. you know, so I would encourage you, Barb, and anybody else listening, yeah. contact our library and ask them if you can get a copy of Jake Biddle's The Great Displacement, Climate Change, and the Next American Migration. It's part of a common read, so then everybody will get together, and then you can come and hear this person speak, which I know you would truly enjoy. I'm going to be interviewing him on my show coming up in, well, hopefully soon. We're trying to arrange it, but just amazing. Um, It talks about everything from the actual fires in California to the floods in Louisiana to Florida, and it's real-time stuff that's happened, and you'll go like, oh, I remember that, I remember that, but mm-hmm. you don't realize what it has done. Yeah, it's so massive, yeah. and it's it's affecting, it's worldwide. This is the thing, yeah, right. You know, I think we should encourage our listeners, um, do you have a number for the library that they can call Oh, boy, there? you know, I was just gonna, uh, let, let me check. I just know that I, because they had a, um, an email come out saying, hey, we're doing this thing, all you gotta do to get a book, and it's a beautiful hardcover book, and then you get it, and it says it's courtesy of the the library. So I'm going to see if I can um, find the info and, right and here. Is it, is it free or is it a checkout? Oh, it's free. They just sent it to me and said, courtesy of the, oh, the nice, uh, nice. library. So yeah, here, I have a, a great, uh, I requested the great, now, so I said I re- received information about the common plans. read, the great displacement. How can I receive a review copy of this book? I'm hoping to set up an interview with the author. And then the library guy says, thank you so much for reaching out. Um, he puts the book, sent the book to me. He says, uh, let's see. So if you want more information, you can, uh, let's see. I'm, I'm trying to find it here for you. I got it from our friend Lee, actually initially from our friend Lee Pomeroy, who, you know, is a great yes. person for the environment. He says, I wanted to you to know there is a in-library common read for a book called The Great Displacement by a journalist who covers global warming named Jake Biddle. 
and we are collaborating with the Geography Department, and they are going to have a virtual presenter and a Q&A with Biddle in Ostrander Auditorium that's coming up. So that presentation is November 10th, 3 p.m. We have lots of copies of the book if you want to read it. So um, that's through the library, and the name I have is Evan. Let's see, let me find his. You'll probably go, what? where did all these people come from all of a sudden? So, um, oh gosh, I just had, let let me hear. Okay, it's Evan, I don't know how you say it, Roush. So here's the name, it's E-V-A-N dot R-U-S-C-H at M-N-S-U dot E-D-U. So E-V-A-N, Evan dot Rush, R-U-S-C-H at okay. M-N-S-U dot E-D-U. You know, and he's at the Memorial Library. So Yeah, I bet it's not a free book, though. I, oh, bet I don't know. They, that's available for people to check out. Well, because they sent it to me, but maybe it's because I'm in media. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, right, right. So well, so don't be disappointed if well, it's if not you, free. But, but it is free if you it. check it out. I mean, Right, right. Yeah, so yeah absolutely. Do I, the same thing. Yeah, so November 10th, though, is the event where, and then we'll probably talk about it after we hear them, too. Exactly. So. That's so, great. Let's, anyway. Um, it's uh, become more common now that uh, every newspaper you pick up, um, they talk about the effects of um, the... Um, uh, weather, how it's changing, how we have, we're having more earthquakes, we're having more hurricanes, we're having these uh, tropical storms that bring just huge amounts of rain, and and now when they look at this uh, hurricane uh, Lee coming in on the east coast, and you know how as the Atlantic has warmed, then the intensity of the hurricane as it hits that warmer water and there's this cold up above in the atmosphere, how it intensifies that and these um, waves that come in and hit the shore are much, much bigger. Today's paper, they were saying that um, they're along um, the New England coast, they're, they're moving the boats inland because I didn't realize this until we spent some time in um, along uh, the coast um, outside of Savannah where you can't leave your boat in the marina a lot of places you have to take them out because the high winds blow the boat into the the um uh they wreck the uh the port itself every all the infrastructure that's there well and you know part of this book <clears throat> describes in detail how that all happens and you know you can't say well the, the weather blame it all on the weather part of it is us as humans who have gone in places where we probably shouldn't be because we're building on floodplains and then you know, all of a sudden things are happening or we're, we're filling in swamps or things that should naturally be there. So a oh, lot of sure. it's on our own self. And then plus, as the weather's getting worse, then it's even making it even worse. Yeah, yeah. I just would recommend anybody um, that is going on a vacation, if you can travel by car and explore some of these great parks and things that we have, who knows if we don't do something drastic, uh, what we'll be um saving for the future generations it, it could be it could be gone it really could be i was watching a uh program on nova on pbs and it was about um how you know we have these concepts we uh, we get them in our history book and then nobody seems to challenge them and one of the things that the earth scientists have been telling us um 
for always uh, is that it takes evolution millions of years to happen things don't adapt that fast right well now there was um earth scientists down in the galapagos and they were studying the changes they knew what was happening before with birds and different things and they were uh, studying this one variety of bird and as the Galapagos which was uninhabited by humans before now has habitation it has uh, restaurants and businesses the food source for this particular bird they were studying uh, has changed and so as habitat has been lost they have adapted to going into the community and they find food for, uh, actually they they use the term fast food restaurants where people eat and like the gulls coming and get your french fries yeah yeah exactly that kind of of thing and how that has affected this bird in um in 15 years is the beak has changed on them so where they needed a different kind of a beak before to eat the seeds and things that they were getting now they don't need that and they've lost that ability and here's what's unique about that when uh, a bird has made that change in their own life because of a particular change in their environment that becomes genetic in them and they pass it on to their young so their young uh, they don't have to go through this process at all. It's inherited by them. And, you know, that is such a change from when I was in school, whether it was uh, high school sciences or right. or college sciences. This has all changed. And we need to bear that in mind that things are changing, and they're changing really, really fast. So you can't... You can't um, just take for granted that things are going to be the same with flora or fauna. You have to get that book we just talked about by Jake Biddle because I'll tell you what, that's all about that. Yeah, well, there you go. There you that, go. Uh, just, uh, that, that's, that's my thing. I could, I could take a book and on a, a day like this, a cup of coffee, sit down in my easy chair and read all day long. That's what you should do, Bart. <clears throat> hey, I want to do a shout out to one of our listeners who reached out, Micah. Yes. Who, and by the way, I just got a text from Micah, or not a text, an email from Micah sending me a, a copy of what we were just talking about. Two new invasive insects confirmed in Minnesota, say the State uh-huh. Department of Agriculture. And the one is what you just talked about. It is the... Asiatic garden beetle, and then the other one's called an elm seed bug. Yeah. So two of those native to Europe, the elm seed bug was first confirmed in the U.S. in 2012, and it's in mainly the western states now. And the Asiatic garden beetle feeds on over 100 hosts, including fruit, vegetables, perennials, and annuals, and uh, then their grubs prefer the ornamentals and garden plants. So yes. there we go, yeah. including uh, things like the butterfly bush, rose, Dahlia, Aster, and Chrysanthemum. And don't we already have problems with those? <laughs> right. And you know, the um, uh, the bush that he's mentioning there, the butterfly bush, mm-hmm. that's, that's, that is kind of an invasive thing. Anyway, yeah. Yeah, anyway, so we shouldn't be growing that. But hey, Micah wants... Just wait. I wanted to play a song for you and Micah. I'm going to put, put oh. the mics up because this reminds me of a conversation you and Micah had. So Micah okay. asked me to play this. So hold on. And this is for you, too. <laughs> It's a world of laughter, a world of tears It's a world of hopes and a world of fears There's so much that we share 
And the reason Micah wanted me to play this is because apparently when you got to talking with Micah to answer a question, you found out what a small world it is. Yes, yes. It, it's, Talk uh, about the, your conversation with Micah. Okay, well, uh, this is just a little personal information, but uh, so uh, Micah had had emailed us here and, and was looking for some information, and he's going to put in a new garden, and it's called a... Um, uh, what do I want to say? Um, a sundial garden. Yeah, make it. Yeah, so to make it look like a sundial. Yeah, right. Yeah, so he's going to put in plants so that you can show where the where the yeah. sun is at, which is really a great idea. And I said, well, if you need some plants, you know, I have some things. So um, uh, we connected, and uh, he came over, and he said, you know, uh, Lampson, I've heard the name before. And um, he was talking to um, a child from his stepfather, and he said, um, "Do you know the Lampsons?" And <laughs> and he said, "Yeah, they're my cousins." Well, wow. it turns out his his stepfather is my husband's first cousin, his, um, Clyde Haslip, and uh, Clyde's mother, Viola, and David's father, Harrison, were brother and sister, and so uh, I didn't know him till he showed up in my <laughs> my garden, but a uh, very nice person, uh, very interesting. Um, he has grandparents in Germany, and we had that in common, too, because, you know, I was always going back and forth to Germany uh, because the kids were there. And I'll tell you what, Micah, we didn't discuss this, but um, my daughter's community garden had the longest, biggest uh, weeds, roots on them, and especially the quack grass. Oh, that stuff was just terrible there. It would just travel underground, and the soil was really hard pan. It had been um, well, they've been. This village, I think, was um, was built in the 1100s. So, can you imagine people gardening and, and farming on the same land, and uh, not really having enough land so they could rotate things, uh, you know, crop on crop, that kind of thing. Well, but it was fun. It was so much fun to see. Well, Micah. so here's your song, Micah. <laughs> Okay, I promised I'd play that from Micah. So it's always great. The one thing fun about this is we get to meet some of our listeners and hear we from do. them. And thank you, Micah. And who knew that Barb Lampson might be uh, related by by marriage, apparently, and to Micah. It's a small world, Micah. <laughs> hey, we've got a bunch of folks who have just texted us with some questions. I love it when the listeners reach out. And so I'm going to sure. go through these, Barb, and okay. hopefully we can figure them out. Question for Barb. Uh, let's see, is that an old one? No, that's... Well, th- here's the new one. It says, Last week you said using landscape fabric under mulch is not good. What do you recommend as a weed barrier under wood chip mulch, or is there a better mulch? Thanks. Well, you know, there's uh, a good counsel. We use cardboard. I love cardboard. That's we collect cardboard. We put it down in uh, uh, more than one level, and then we put the bark chips on top of that and the cardboard breaks down, it lasts one season. So but you, you know what? My cardboard breaks down, and if you don't disturb the soil, the seeds don't get a chance to re-germinate. So I really have not had really much for weed problems, Barb. And I put the, the cardboard down, make sure you cut out around the plant so they're able to 
get moisture in there because yes. you still need that. But the car, but the cardboard, some of it, and depending on how thick it is, can last longer. But I put the mulch over top. Don't disturb. Anytime you disturb the soil, you're, you're raking right. up seed, right. weed seeds. But <clears throat> it's been such a great thing, and I it don't is. have to dig up. And you that. can get it. You can. Oh. I mean, people are willing to give you your their boxes, and that is wonderful. But make sure you take any uh, tape, adhesive, sure. or labels or things like that off. You want sure. just the plain, nice. But so I mean, that really is the best thing I can tell you is and just don't be the less you disturb the soil the better yeah that's true but and this you know the like the um um like the quack grass and things like this that root and go under they will come up to the border oh, they come up the edge and, sneak and up. you have to you have to get those out this doesn't mean that they won't they they will go under they it crawl so you have to, to find light for that. Yeah. i would like to mention one more thing for this listener uh if this is convenient I have used more living mulches. Yes. And I use sedum. Sedum is really a great plant. You know, with the drought now, it just is standing up, and and it actually does bloom. The bees get it. It's just an all-around, all-purpose thing. So if you can uh, mix um, a living mulch along with, like, your perennial plants, because the thing, the drawback is... You can't put annuals with this because you'd be digging up and replanting annuals all the time. But it's been great because I also have some creeping jenny (coughs) that I have around some, and I have some lamium (laughs) around some. And, you know, some people say, well, it's invasive. It's going to crowd them out. But a lot of times that stuff is just so easy to pull away from it. Oh, it is. It Uh, is. And so the living (coughs) mulch, in fact, you and I did a show on living mulches, and it is on our podcast. So anytime you want to go back, go to the KMSU podcast on KMSU.org, or you can load the app. And under Master Gardeners, there's something I says, I think it's... Um, I think we called it um, using natural um, mulches, and that's what that is, using plants. So that is absolutely, and sometimes it takes a little while to get established, but once you get them... It it grows pretty fast, especially if you've got the right thing. You know, this creeping sedum, that is really, really good. And here's what I found with that. Um, I can take that creeping sedum, I can pull up uh, a little piece, an area mm-hmm. about maybe about three inches across or two inches across, and I take all those great hyacinths that I've got extras of those smaller ones, and I make a hole and I drop them in there. And then eventually, I mean, they're smaller, so they don't bloom the first year, they bloom the second year. Eventually, you've got the sedum and you've got this early bloom. For the pollinators, they want that this. pops up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, on the hyacinths. And then later on, you've, you've got the sedum blooms. Um, it does its own flower thing. And there's uh, different different types of, of this creeping sedum. There's a variegated one with the green and white leaves. There's And there's some of them that have pink flowers. Some of them get yellow flowers. And it's white just... White flowers. I've got some of those. And it, it seems like it gets so tall and then it almost stops growing you know it folds over but it it you don't have to worry about trimming it back at all well you know and there's different <coughs> heights you know when you think i think of the sedum like the uh, angelina is it the not the angelina the um autumn sedum the you know, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And that gets real tall, but I've got others like the and I think it's called the Angelina. That it looks like cute. They're just like cute little f- forest of 
conifers almost it looks like sure. but that spreads around and and then you drop a little piece somewhere and it'll you know take hold and it I have it around my roses and I have it around other areas and it keeps the soil moist and it doesn't need very much water and That's right. and it's pretty yeah and and it it uh, it protects the soil from drying out so right. much it's just really and, and that's what it should be but if you can't if you can't start something like that um, I would say uh, start with the cardboard and don't be afraid to use two layers at least. Right. And then you can use wood chips if you want or grass clippings as long as you aren't treating your grass Absolutely. with anything. I use grass clippings. The best thing I found and I'm excited for fall because of the tree leaves will fall and I will take as much leaves as I can and I will put them through my shredder or some people can run over with your mower and that is the best yeah. mulch. I know because I started that whole new garden along my driveway barb and um, people are like, well, how do you keep that weeded? Well, you know, I haven't had really hardly any weeds because I put the, the leaf mulch over sure, top of it. Sure, Yeah. And this summer, I found that I had to add mulch. Mm-hmm. Um, both, I used grass clippings. Me too. And we didn't have a lot, but when we did um, mow the grass, we saved those. Yep. And I put the grass clippings down first. That's nitrogen. And then after a couple of weeks, I put down the leaves which had been mulched and were from last year okay. that's carbon now we've got a mini composting going on they get water and any deadheading or anything that I do in the garden I put it leave it in there but <clears throat> if there's anything with a diseased leaf out it goes or if there's seed heads you don't want to be spread all over because I'll yeah. tell you what I already have a new flock I don't know if flocks not that not the right word but my marigolds I've got those strawberry blonde uh, marigolds and and already those seed heads have dried and I've got a whole new crop of marigolds coming up yes yes so if you don't want too many too thick sometimes you have to go okay well I yeah, better put these in right. a bucket and put them in a different pile where they aren't going to receive. You know, and since we've talked about um, the seed heads being an important food source, um, I I have begun to, just begun in a small way, uh, some of the seed heads. Um, I especially like them on the um, oh the big yellow uh, daisies. There's several varieties. Like the Rudbeckia? Or <clears> the Rudbeckia. Cornflowering Echinacea. Okay. Yeah, those. Yeah. yeah. Right. And so um, I like to leave some of those up. Yeah. And uh, they actually, uh, they're taller. They 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 play a real role in, in just adding to the beauty of the garden. It isn't just the flower itself. It's, it's, it's after they dry. I've got two more that I, we're <laughs> almost out of time, but i got two more things from our listeners. One says, for the Master Gardeners, I have a very large shrub rose. It's called near, Nearly Wild. Can I cut it back this fall or is spring better? Well, <clears throat> it depends on what your reason for cutting it back is. If, is it something that uh, <clears throat> you need to cut it back because you need the space or you just you just think it's getting too big and you won't have to do it in the spring? I mean, decide for yourself. Actually, you know, when you cut things back, a lot of times instead of them staying dormant... It encourages they, them to grow. It does. And so consider that. Do you really... Is there any reason why it should be cut back now? Um, and if you do cut something back, be very careful. Um a third, maybe a third of the top, you want to take off, not more than that. And uh, I, I would just, I would say the preferred time is in the spring, but yes. and it depends on here too. 
when does it bloom? Does it bloom on old wood or does it bloom on new wood too? So that should tell you when to cut it back. You know, generally, unless they're, <clears throat> this one sounds like it may be unwieldy and overgrown. Maybe it's encroaching on something. In that case, I would probably cut it. But otherwise, I would wait till spring is what we always right. say to wait because then you're, when they're dormant and they, they are not likely to have disease spread and that sort of thing. Right. And, and take, if you, instead of just thinking of the top, go along the bottom because those old-fashioned roses, they really sucker. So if yeah. you've got some big old canes in there, that's what I would take out, and you wouldn't even miss those. Right. So I'd, I'd do that first. Here's one more, and we're going to be out of time, unfortunately, but this is a tomato question. Should tomato plant foliage be trimmed back to allow the existing fruit to ripen? That or to to um, to ripen, and I'd say yes. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, more is better. We always think with the leaves and that, and they're hidden. One of the things you don't want when it's uh, and maybe it's okay for now. We'll just talk about that. We've kind of passed through that ninety plus degree stage. If you had tomatoes and they were totally exposed, you saw you got sun scald on them, and you don't want that either. Um, so uh, thin, you can you can do a little thinning, but don't get carried away. And um, if you've also got disease on your plant, like tomato blight, um, just take the leaves that have the blade on them and get them out of your garden and then wash your pruner because I use alcohol rubbing alcohol absolutely and or bleach you can use as well but the thing is like I've got those indeterminate tomatoes and they just keep growing and growing so I have been cutting back the branches as they get new ones with um, blossoms and things because you know what I've got plenty of tomatoes. I don't know about you, but I'm tired yeah. of some, <laughs> in right. somewhat. Right. And then the ones that are back there that I don't cut, then they will be able to ripen before the yeah. season and ends. And you can also, if you don't have a lot of new growth, but but you want the tomatoes that are on there to ripen, you should not allow any more blossoms. Take the blossoms off, and then that energy will go into getting these tomatoes ripe for you. I think some of the best tomatoes that I've got are now, you know, I, I raised um, a couple of different things. Celebrity is one of them. And um, I wish the fair was going on because they're perfectly shaped. <laughs> the color is great. And you can always tell when it's time to pick a tomato because if you just give it a little twist, uh, the stem lets loose. And, just, and there you've got this thing in your hand. So good. Do you know I'm inventing new tomato sandwiches? You I, are. I had a fried egg, onion, mushroom, um, uh, tomato sandwich so good. Okay, Barb, I suggest you start writing these down and one day for maybe a pledge premium we'll have Barb Lampson's Garden Cookbook. Oh, never happened. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Barb. It's always yeah. so great to talk to you. Well, let's keep hoping for more rain and gentle rain. Right. Thanks to all of our listeners and thank you for your questions. We love hearing from you. Absolutely. Thank you, Barb. Appreciate it.